ADP has your back with Accountant Connect. Their award-winning multi-client payroll management and analytics platform is a remarkably effective tool for adding value to every client engagement. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, ADP Accountant Connect, later in the episode. A third, only hear from their account two times per year or less. So a very easy way you can make the experience better, add a monthly check-in. Just take a look at their books and offer an insight. All right, it takes you... It makes a lot of sense because millennials kind of are needy, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so, so, so uh, just fill that need and you can charge more, right? Like show up for them, be there. Give me a hug, David. You're a Gen Xer, we right? Need, we need helicopter accountants. That's yeah. that's what the millennials want. They had they grew up with their helicopter parents and now they want a <laughs> helicopter accountant. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by A2X. Blake and I have talked plenty about the massive shift to online shopping during the time of COVID-19. This means that e-commerce sellers are dealing with massive amounts of transactions that need to appear in the general ledger correctly so that you can easily reconcile these transactions with a bank statement. ATX will give your Shopify and Amazon clients confidence in their financials because A2X was created with a focus on the importance of the reconciliation process. A2X posts tidy summaries of sales, returns, and fees from Shopify and Amazon directly into QuickBooks or Zero that will exactly match the deposits that appear in your bank account. ATX has won the support of Amazon, Intuit, and has hundreds of five-star reviews by accountants and bookkeepers in both the QuickBooks and Zero app stores. Cloud Accounting Podcast listener and e-commerce expert Scott Sharp said that A2X is the gold standard in e-commerce accounting. To learn more about using A2X and get 20% off your subscription by using code CAP20, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash A2X. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash A, the number two, X. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. I recently had two Zoom calls with accountants that use BQE Core for their professional service clients like architects, engineers, consultants, and lawyers. One accountant called it the missing link for professional services. Another said that BQE Core is the only game in town for job profitability in the cloud. My biggest takeaway from the conversations was how you can 100% use BQE Core as your standalone accounting system or pair it up with either QuickBooks Online or Zero. Either way, you get to take advantage of all the advanced features of BQE Core like adjustment invoicing, budgets, labor costs, forecasting, contract analysis, and approval processes. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, uh, do you have any Thanksgiving plans? Thanksgiving plans, yes. We're going to go to Mexico. Assuming, you know, COVID doesn't lock all the borders and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's nice down there. Actually, it's the closest, it's Rocky Point. It's the closest beach to either of us. We should go there and meet. It's exactly three hours and like 15 minutes from your house and three hours and 15 minutes from my house. We could go to and spend Thanksgiving in Rocky Point. Well, that would sounds great, but the advice from the health experts right now isn't to gather. <laughs> so, I was wondering if you are doing a large gathering, but it sounds like it's going to be just your immediate family or? Yeah, yeah. Immediate family. And then my sister's bringing her family, but they're on the floor above us in the condo. And then you know, you're, you're on the beach, you're outside, there's fresh air blowing. Hopefully that'll be good. Uh, I've been hearing a lot about trying to minimize Thanksgiving. This could be like a giant super spreader event for the whole country uh, in terms of COVID, given where we're at with the case numbers. And I spotted this article on MIT Technology Review, which links to a tool created by the Georgia Institute of Technology. It's called the Event Risk Planning Tool. And you click through to this, and it's a map of the United States showing uh, by county, what is the risk that one person, at least one person at that event will have COVID-19. So, if you had an event with 50 people, for instance, like Thanksgiving with 50 people, then in Maricopa County, given our current infection rate, your risk is 43% that one person at that event has uh, COVID. And you can adjust it up or down if it's like a very large event, like say you're going to, I don't know, a conference with a thousand people, then it's basically anywhere in the country, pretty much over 99%. <laughs> and it, you know, even if we, even with 10 people, it's like where I live, 11%. Uh, in some places, it's like even if you had an event with just 10 people in, in Dewey, South Dakota, 88% chance 
that somebody in the room has COVID. It's just kind of nuts. But I, I it's really ticking up everywhere in this this app. Yeah. So so in a way, like firms could use this to figure out if you're going to have a gathering at your office. Should you have how 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 many people is it okay to have at your office? Can you have twenty five percent capacity in your office? Can you have one hundred percent capacity? Right. Let's say you want to have that holiday party um, and your acceptable risk tolerance is like 10%, then you could use this to figure out if that's possible. Like if you're in, I don't know, Lincoln, Nevada, you could have a 25-person event and your risk level is less than 1%. So, it's really all lo- very local. I only brought this up because I love data to analyze risk and I feel like it brings more logic to the conversation about all this stuff. Well, even outside of a firm like having a party, just you really think about it, if you're going to have a meeting for three, five of your partners, that's like a, a miniature party, right. right? So, you probably want to, you could use this tool for meet, you know, meetings or uh, having your staff on site. Like, yeah. there's other well, uses for it. And at my company, we're thinking about having another leadership retreat. You know, the question is, if, if 10 of us got together, you know, would that be safe? And things have gotten a little wacky already. I've, I've noticed um, no toilet papers at Costco again. Uh, no toilet papers at Target. Like, things have, things have, people are starting to get a little wacky again. Yeah, if you haven't gotten your toilet paper, well, no, I don't want to contribute to the shortage, but yeah, probably a good idea to stock up. <laughs> but people are, <laughs> Any, like, anyway, I know people are still going out. Like I, I was thinking about this. I was driving last night in the evening and I was like, geez, I remember in March, like how empty the roads were driving around mm. and the roads were busy and people are at bars and restaurants. People are out, you know, out and about. But I think the the, the big difference, I think this time is before people really stayed and you only hung out with the same people over and over and over and over again. And it was pretty obvious that people were not hanging out with their families, right? Or a closed group. It'd be like five or six guys at a table and like five or six random females at a table. And it's obviously they're not all sisters. The thing is, is like they're probably hanging out with their own family. So there's a lot of crisscrossing going on. And that's probably why we like people are just not being as careful or siloed anymore. I don't know. Yeah. But then again, like, I don't think you have the patience for it anymore either. It's fatigue. It's really hard. It's it's not easy to isolate yourself. We're social animals. That's what we are as, as human beings, right? <laughs> like we we need to be around other people. We can't just be around our families all the time. So it's tough. We'll we'll get there though. Yeah. Um, anyway, I've got more follow-up from our previous episode. You know, the 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 argument you made in our last episode, I've been thinking about that a lot. The idea that uh, Trump's uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was passed at the beginning of his presidency, was one of the factors, or you actually think it's like the factor for his loss in that it inspired people to leave more liberal states to go to less uh, liberal states, and that tilted the electoral map in uh, Biden's favor. I, th- I think Maricopa County and basically Phoenix is the perfect example. Like that is a pickup truck, Trump flagging, like <laughs> Mecca, and he lost that county. It's true. And we know why people like you and Californians relocated to Phoenix in massive amounts. So, we got some feedback from a listener about your theory. I'd like to read that. This is from Dan Sears. He says, hi, you guys obviously know a metric shit ton about modern accounting. No question. But you're off the wall with the idea that people moving from liberal coastal states to red states swung the election. First of all, people who move from one state to another for tax reasons are less likely to be AOC huggers. They don't move to Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, and you don't get to count every single mover as a full-throated liberal with a 100% propensity to vote. It's pretty marginal, bro. Dan. So, David, I wanted to give you the opportunity to respond to this comment here. Well, it's probably more than 600,000, but I think in 2018... The articles we're looking at in January of 2019 said 600,000 Californians moved. Take that, divide that by, let's say they equally distributed to 49 states. If you divvy that up, and even if it's 50-50, which is probably not true between Trump and Biden, it's going to probably skew higher for Biden. definitely. Some of these states, that's 12,000 Biden voters. and. But some of the differences were not much. So it is very, very close. Like, again, this is a theory. Somebody has to go run the data. This is a good ProPublica type thing. Like, or maybe we can give it to NPR's Planet Money. Somebody could go and run these numbers. But I, I think it's a very viable reason. We obviously didn't see a blue wave. Like there was, you know, we right. didn't see this big flip. And in, in, I actually think if you have 600,000 to a million people stay in California and vote in California, where it has no effect on Trump's electoral needs, he probably wins Nevada and Arizona and possibly still Georgia, Atlanta and Georgia. Here's my take on this. I don't think you're wrong. I think that it was definitely a contributing factor that 
the difference in taxes, it makes a financial difference. I relocated from California to Arizona as a relatively high earner. I'm feeling it, right? I'm loving the tax situation here. But that wasn't the primary reason that I moved. The primary reason was, well, coronavirus. I'd wanted to move before that though. And the other reasons were cost of living, right? housing, me being more moderate, disagreeing with the direction that the state is taking from a political perspective up in Sacramento. That was the primary driver for me. And I think that a lot of people leaving California, it's really housing. Now, that's not to say that the tax situation doesn't contribute to that. It's all combined, right? It's all... And it, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that may be worse, right? Because now you're like, I can barely afford a house. And then if I can afford it, now I just lose all the incentives to buy my house because the, the right. tax breaks, right? So, yeah, it, it all it all changes stuff. But so, to me, it's like a contributing factor, not the main one. But what I see is like the big difference with this election or like the, the thing that has dominated this election, which doesn't get talked about enough, is automation. And this is the tieback to cloud accounting, at least in our little piece of the business world, but automation more broadly, really broadly, going all the way back to offshoring of manufacturing in the 80s and the decline of manufacturing towns in this country, uh, the, the hollowing out of the middle class because of automation, you know, it's all, it's all linked together. It's all technology driven. And those people, like this is my theory, and I think it is backed up by some stats, which I can share. Those people in middle America, white middle America, who feel left out by all the economic progress that has happened and are watching their towns decline and, and there's no future in those towns, they were gravitated very, very strongly to Donald Trump's message of make America great again. And but but that that happened in the 2016 election. Like, yeah. like so I'm looking at what's the different variable between 2016 election and this election. So the difference is that those people hated Hillary Clinton because she called them deplorables and she didn't relate to them at all. And the difference is really purely that these folks, uh, some of them, peeled off and voted for Biden. And that's where you, you see, like in Pennsylvania, the blue wall states, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, even Arizona. Although Arizona is probably more like the migration patterns, but I'm I'm think I'm thinking the states that actually made the difference in this election, a lot of it it is it is that that group of people, and so this is actually one of the things um, that I talked about with David Barrett. I was on his uh, podcast just yesterday. We Wait, so this chatted. is the, the David Barrett. The CEO of Expensify, who sent out the email just prior to the election. Yes. And okay. we, we had a um, interview scheduled ahead of all that. And then it got delayed because of the Expensify email fallout. And we we finally connected and we chatted. And this was one of the topics. And, and, and that's why I'm bringing it up now is that we, we talked a lot about the election and automation and this theory I have. And it was a great conversation. We talked for like an hour and it was awesome. It's like, that's the sort of thing that makes me really wish the pandemic was over and we could just, you know, all sit down in a bar and like talk this stuff out rather than having arguments on Facebook, which are hardly ever like... Well, those are going away because half the, half the Facebook users are now moving to Parler or something. Parler, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's my theory is that a lot of um, automation is displacing a lot of decent jobs that you used to have as a non-college grad. If you if you went to high school, you could get a great job. And now that is definitely, would anyone say that's true? That you have a bright future if you don't go to college? It's pretty hard to make that argument these days. And that's due to technology and automation taking away you know what we would consider to be routine work. And just in our industry, let's look at bookkeeping. Bookkeeping is a job that employs hundreds of thousands of people, if not potentially millions in the past. And that job is going away. It is not going to be around the way we knew it was. Now, that's different than cloud bookkeepers who tend to be more technology forward and have adapted. I'm talking about traditional bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. That's all, you know, the holiday, it's, been, it's gone. And those people are sitting in small towns and they don't have jobs, right? So, like, what do you do about that? If basically Joe Biden has to figure out how to help those people or they're not going to vote for him in four years. And that's going to take away his whole margin of victory. That's my theory about the election. No, I, I, I get it. It's, yeah, it's interesting, the, the expensive thing. So, you, this interview is going to be out when? I don't know when. They're going to uh, record a few different episodes and then you know put them out at once, which is best practice if you're going to do it. Maybe we should ask him if we can uh, possibly 
after they release, if they allow us to stick that into our feed, so our yeah. listeners can get easy access to it, uh, that'd be uh, way for them to get a little exposure on that. But I'd love to. I, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, I'd love to even get a, a preview. I did uh, notice that a listener uh, alerted us to the fact that on CPA.com, the expense management and um, Expensify are no longer listed as a solution for your client services. Yes. Yeah. I saw that yesterday. Now, did you and David talk about that? No, it, it didn't come up and I, I kind of forgot about it uh, to mention it. I was, we were so deep into this, you know, conversation, but yeah, that is really interesting because I had wondered what was going to happen given that Expensify is a preferred, or at least it previously was a preferred business partner, preferred business solution, or is it preferred partner solution? One of those of the CPA.com, which is a subsidiary of the AICPA, the, and, and we, we all know that accountants tend to be more conservative on the whole, especially CPAs, you know, tend to lean Republican vote for Trump. Like, like, so this, well, you brought this up initially when we talked about the the email. Yeah. yeah. It was really interesting talking with David because I feel like where I am in the accounting world, being that I work for a technology company that makes software for accountants. Now I have one foot in the tech world and one foot in the CPA world. And they're so different. People have such incredibly different views of the world on, on both sides of that. I feel like I can see both sides, but it's really hard to make anyone else see that mm-hmm. on either side. Yep. When I talk about Donald Trump and Trump voters and Republicans, like it really pisses off, I think, some people in the tech world because they, they there's like no way that can possibly be true. And it's almost like this attitude, like 50% of the country is insane or racist or, and I'm just trying to say like, look, there are actual reasons that people have these positions. And the best thing we can do is to try to understand it and to try to understand the economics behind it. Because I do believe that as with most, most things, there's an economic reason for a lot of politics that happens. And, and so, you know, when you take away people's economic opportunity, they gravitate towards extremism and racism. And that is what is showing up at the worst parts of the Republican Party, which unfortunately, uh, but there's an economic reason for it. And if we don't address it, it's just going to get worse. Well, the economic reason is the more divided they are, both raise more, both parties raise more money they ever have because of the division. And I actually feel like this whole, uh, even this Trump not considering the election yet and all this stuff is just a quick way to raise more money. Be- and, and I think the media loves it because they get more ratings. The longer this drags out, everybody makes more money. Even the Democrats are like sending out chip in, chip in this, chip in emails. Like you thought, you thought all these emails would stop once the election was over and they're coming in just as fast and hot and heavy as they ever have this donate money. And I, and I get them from both sides because I, I make sure I donate a little bit here and there because I want to see what everybody's doing, right? And so, I get both sides of the emails and everybody is playing that fear game. And then this is just a way for them to raise money for their parties ultimately. And that's that's the that's the real economic thing here. <laughs> and then the media loves it because they make tons of money from this. Right. And this is why you could like follow this all the way back to California. The reason the media companies hint at let's get rid of the electoral college and go to a popular vote because essentially all the media companies in California get zero benefit from the election. Hmm. Because the elect, nobody runs ads. Right. They, they don't, they don't get any of this money. All this money is spent in these other states where they actually can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's one stat I want to leave you and our listeners with, which this is one that I keep coming back to, which is that when you look at the areas of the country that went for Biden versus the ones that went for Trump this year, 70% of the economy, okay, the, the, the counties that voted for Biden make up 70% of the United States economy. You mean that's like the GDP or? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's GDP. So, what does that mean? That to me indicates that this theory about Donald Trump supporters feeling economically disadvantaged is true. Is that there is a chunk of the country that due to automation and, and offshoring, has very little economic future and has been left out of the gains that we have seen over the last 10, 20 years. And those are the people who feel like we are on the wrong path. And that's why we have such widely divergent views as a country is that if you're in a city that has benefited from all of this, your economic prospects are great, you know, compared to middle America where there is no future. And that's the difference. And this is why you're seeing this whole realignment where for the first time we have 
people with college degrees support more likely to be in one party than people without. So like if you're a, if you've got just a high school diploma, you're more likely now to be a Republican than a Democrat. And that's a complete reversal of how the parties used to be aligned back in the, you know, Great Depression and all that. I mean, the Democrats have always been the party of the working class. It's very strange. And now it's more geographically, but it's even more economically uh, separated. Like that's the new alignment that's happening. So we have to figure out a way to address this issue of automation. Like, you know, is is the solution to upskill people, to to offer them training so that they can then be, you know, this is the idea that everyone should learn how to code. But are you really going to take a factory worker and teach them how to code? Like, is this realistic? So I might have a solution to these problems, Blake. What's that? I came across an article from John C. Dvorak. And I don't know if you're familiar with him, but back in the day, do you remember PC Magazine? Yeah. Those old, okay. So he always had the back column in PC Magazine. Like he was the first guy that wrote those articles about like Apple, like who wants a mouse, mm-hmm. right? And so like he's been covering tech and he's been in this space, but he uh, has his own um, opinion piece. I guess it's uh, on Substack. I've not actually used Substack a lot, but I think it's similar to like a medium type format for people to do blogs and, and articles. And he wrote an article about the time has come for a true wealth tax. Oh, no. And in in his argument on this is, you know, everybody thinks the solution is to more income tax for the wealthy, Mm -hmm. but ultimately the wealthy don't have any income. And not only that, they they kind of even um, trick everybody, right? You have these CEOs are like, I only take a dollar of income from my company. The the public kind of is naive and they think it's so noble. Oh, Steve Jobs only took a dollar of income. Mm -hmm. Then they don't pay any income taxes. The working class puts most of that bill because the super wealthy just never, they have so much wealth, they can't even spend it fast enough. And you're, you're taxing the people that work. So his argument here is that there should be a wealth tax of 1.8% per person. And ultimately, the people that have zero wealth will never get taxed at all. And you know, and then you, if you have a, your net worth $100,000, you pay $1,800 a year in taxes. Oh, so he's saying replace income tax with wealth tax? Yes. Oh, and, wow. and the argument here, you know, people like Warren Buffett, who says he, he, Warren Buffett always says like, I should be taxed more, but yeah. my income was only $58,000. His net worth is about 85 billion. He'd pay 1.53 billion in taxes. Uh-huh. And so, then the argument is, it's really ultimately getting the ultra wealthy to pay their fair share and the working and middle class and upper middle class, they would actually pay less taxes in a, than they do now. So folks like us who have jobs would pay a little bit less taxes because you know, based on our net worth. And then the other argument that actually is a good example of this, a lot of states don't have sales tax, they don't have other taxes. All they have is property taxes, which in a weird way is a wealth tax. And some states run their whole budget on this already. So it, like the model's kind of there. And I'd love to hear your your point of view on this. And I'd love to hear other listeners' point of view. But this could, you know, this whole concept of income tax. What's there to tax if somebody only has a salary of a dollar? I guess my problem with a wealth tax has always been that if you combine it with income tax, then you end up having double taxation. I could agree on that. Yep. And especially if you have like capital gains and then you have a wealth tax, you're tax you could tax the same money three times. But then there's also the issue like of of it becomes complicated, it can, to value assets. And then what if somebody's assets aren't fungible? So now you you know, let's say I have I have to sell my business in order to pay my two percent wealth tax like it creates complicated a complicated situation um although this is not unheard of the roman empire was actually funded with primarily a wealth tax and the tax authority <laughs> the uh the the tax collectors would basically go around to all the estates in the provinces and would then you know estimate you know the value of your you know farm right like here's how many cattle you have how many slaves you have how many you know the size of your estate and then you know assess a tax and and i think like the entire roman empire was was funded primarily based on like a 1 or 2% tax it would go up or down depending on if they were at war or not so it's been done before but it would be like a crazy change that's just never going to happen i mean given the political situation but hey it's interesting i'm glad you brought it up and in the argument is like the poorest among us like can never a- accumulate any type of wealth because their income gets taxed. It's not fair. Well, and I think that is an issue, which is that, you know, what half of Americans have no stock at all. They don't own equity in anything. If you want to have like a robust middle class and you want to protect capitalism, then people need to have a stake in it. So we need more people to own stock. We need more people to have investments. If people are just earning income and they're not invested in the 
economy. Other than that, creates a political problem. I don't know if this is a, a good solution, but I'm in favor of like ways to in- increase people's wealth in the middle class. Yeah. So, so hit the show notes. There's a good article, easy, quick, easy to read article, but it makes a pretty decent argument. So uh, let's talk about, well, you mentioned a wealth tax. What about a work from home tax, David? Do you oh, think I that, saw that. I saw that. Do, do you think- like this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that people who work from home should pay a tax uh, to help out the people that can't work from home? Because that is the argument in a report from Deutsche Bank. Researcher Luke Templeman probably had no idea that he was going to get global coverage for this. The report is entitled, What We Must Do to Rebuild. And he suggests that leaders should impose a tax on people who work from home because between 2005 and 2018, internet technology fueled a 173% increase in the number of Americans who regularly worked from home. I have, of course, as somebody who works from home, I mean, David, you work from home too. Like, uh, do you want to pay a tax for having to work from home? Yeah, I, I, it's very headline grabbing, but I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not comprehending his argument. Can you, what, like, what is the argument behind this? this point of view. Well, I think due to the like pandemic shutting down all these jobs where you can't work from home, like those are the people who are suffering. And so this would pay for the recovery. That's the idea. Like somebody has to pay, especially in Europe where they've been subsidizing, right? Everybody's salaries a lot more than we have in the US. Like they're, they're, they have massive government debt now. So somebody, how are they going to pay for that? Well, this goes back to that modern monetary theory from episodes ago where like, like we're not actually paying this burden, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it only goes so far, right? You can only extend the credit line so far before people stop believing that the government will ever pay it back. But anyway, maybe we should stop talking about all the things of the world, the problems we can't solve, and get into something simple like you know what you can do for your clients. Okay, which you can actually control. Let's talk about that. All right. So um, this is an article that came through. I saw it on social media for um, from Intuit. So it's on the QuickBooks blog, and it's about. It's it's geared towards small business owners, and it talks about personal banking versus business banking. Do you need a separate bank account? And and basically, this article is like headed towards you know pushing people, you know, small business owner. Hey, you need accounting systems. You need you know obviously Intuit starting to have their own business bank account, right? This is an SEO blog post, but Intuit had a study in here, and I, I really is an interesting number. Thirty eight percent of pr- prospective business owners say they intend to set up their own financial and accounting systems. So. Thirty, almost forty percent of the small business owners that are new have no no intentions to get an accountant to help them or a bookkeeper to help them. No, doesn't surprise me. And going back to what I think it was last week's episode, we talked about how um, Acuity said they were going to uh, start offering invoice management. Ultimately, as an accounting firm, you need to get ahead of these small business owners because they they can run for nine months without ever talking to you. Mm-hmm. Right, like, how do you get in the conversation of them starting their business on day one? And I'm wondering if, like, just helping them opening a small business account, checking account, is a way to get them in the door. Don't sell them bookkeeping services. Don't sell them anything else. Just like, hey, I'm going to help you get a business banking checking account because if you go to the local bank, they're not going to talk to you to help you open the bank account. But now, you know, if there's Relay Bank, there's all these fintech banks we talk about that are online. You as an account or bookkeeper could create a service where you're just. It's, a, it's just a lead generator for you. You mm-hmm. just help people get their small business checking account set up. Don't even sell them anything else. Just do that, which sets them up for success later on, ultimately. And it could be really easy to set something up like that if you have a relationship with a, you know somebody at that branch. <laughs> you, know, you can just basically refer people over to them and they take care of them. Now you've got their contact info, they're on your email list. And when it comes time for them to do their taxes, you're there. You're the one they call. And maybe even this bank, if if you're lucky, has some sort of built-in accounting software to help them at least do the first few months before you transition them over to something else. Yeah. And, and I, if I had to look at my whole, like when I started my own company, the hardest, like shockingly hard was opening the checking account. You thought it would just be like, go in and open it. And like one bank refused to do it. And I had to go to a different bank. So it's just, it's shocking how difficult this is, which explains why so many people commingle their personal finances. They already have a personal checking account. Like it's working good enough. I'll just use that for my business. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's an opportunity here for firms, you know, to get ahead of the game because selling somebody bookkeeping services is a tougher sell, but selling them like, Hey, I'll just help you set up your checking account. Let's jump in. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ADP Accountant Connect. 
How can you stay on top of your game and still have time to think more strategically? Or how do you keep up with all the COVID-19 related stimuli programs to make sure your clients have the documentation to get their piece of the pie? By using ADP's award-winning multi-client payroll management and analytics platform called Accountants Connect. Be your client's go-to guru by leveraging Accountant Connect's tools and resources to strengthen your strategic advisory role while boosting the efficiency of your traditional tax and accounting services. With ADP Accountant Connect, you can process payroll and easily integrate payroll data to the popular accounting systems like QuickBooks, Xero, and Sage, and handle their clients' needs anywhere at any time. And because ADP Accountants Connect was designed by accountants for accountants, it includes so much more. You can take a CPE course on trending topics, provide your clients with benchmarking data, access a tax resource library, calculators, ebooks, even template letters for communicating with your clients. And it's free. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash ADP. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash ADP. ADP has your back with Accountant Connect. So we're on the practice management topic, and I wanted to share another article from Ryan Lozanis over at futurefirm.co. He, over the summer, looked into this, he did a deep dive into this survey by Zero, the accounting software company, about millennials in accounting firms. So millennials, I'm one, we're now in our 30s, approaching our 40s, and we make excellent business clients these days, right? We've, we've matured in our careers. Maybe we own businesses. So if you want to grow your accounting firm, like where are you going to do it? Probably with millennials. So what do millennials want from accountants? What can we do to serve them better? And one of the takeaways from Ryan is that reducing stress is very, very important to millennials. 39% of millennials are seeking an advisor that is, quote, enjoyable to work with, unquote. And so his takeaway is, make it really easy for them to work with you. I think this is one of those things that's missing from a lot of firms is the customer experience, the focus on the customer experience. Like you may be an expert at what you do and you may help your clients get, you know, the minimize their tax burden. You know, you're a, you're a professional who like does it great, but like if your client experience is not good, you're missing out on a lot of potential clients. So make it easier for them to get you documents, make it easy for them to communicate with you. We talked about potentially adding even text messaging as an option to your firm. Booking appointments. And I've seen these, this data, like for dentists, like millennials will pick the dentist that has the online booking form and they can book an appointment online and yeah. they don't actually have to call the front yeah. desk. Like that, that's the differentiation factor. They could be equal dentist. Everything about is equal except for that. I had to find a new optometrist here in Scottsdale when I moved here. And I was shocked when I went to the website and I clicked on the booking link and it was broken. I, I couldn't book online. I had to call. Uh, and and That's like having the front door locked. You go <laughs> and you're like, you can't get in the business. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there's another stat in here. A third of millennial businesses only hear from their accountant two times per year or less. A third only hear from their accountant two times per year or less. So a very easy way you can make the experience better, add a monthly check-in. Just take a look at their books and offer an insight. All right, it takes you. It makes a lot of sense because millennials kind of are needy, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so just fill that need, and you can charge more, right? Like show up for them, be there. Give me a hug, David. You're a Gen Xer, right? We need, we need helicopter accountants. That's yeah. that's what the millennials want. They had they grew up with their helicopter parents, and now they want a helicopter accountant. Uh, that's great. So I have a story that actually will tie us, Blake, from practice management a little bit into app news. Okay. Right. So, this is an article that was actually in Dallas Innovate. So, it's a local Dallas paper about um, Ford Baker. So, he runs a, Dal a Dallas-based accounting accounting firm and now a tech company called Baco Tech. And what's his name? Uh, his name's Ford Baker. Ford Baker. Okay. So, he's a CPA. So, he at one time, a few years back, he was weighing over 400 pounds, sleeping, and this is 2012, sleeping on an air mattress in his office and just kind of came to this conclusion, his personal life was completely out of balance. I mean, you have to agree, right? If you're a CPA and you're sleeping on an air mattress in your office, right? And you're, 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 your health is really declining, right? I mean, this is probably not a unique story from that point, right? I think yeah. a lot of CPAs don't take care of themselves the way they possibly should and things get out of balance. Yes. Well, he uh, went on like a 21-day cleanse, started walking his dog every day. And then eventually in 2014, he rode his bicycle from Canada to Mexico all the way down the Pacific Coast Highway and lost half his weight. Wow. 
so he he just completely you know restructured how he thinks about his firm and the way they did work and it eventually led to you know they have an app now and essentially this app is so instead of having that once a year scramble to get all your taxes done with your clients he basically has an app that's reading data from like quickbooks and other stuff real time so at any time it's almost like having an instant tax return done on any day of the week so when it's time to actually file the taxes it's done all the adjustments during the year have been made. So it's almost like a living tax return he's doing all year. And it's balanced himself out. So they don't have a busy season. He doesn't have to sleep on an air mattress in his office. And um, wow, it, it's just a cool story. So yeah. in there. I love that. Th- th- things are getting better, right? I mean, the joke is you go into accounting and your life's just downhill from there. There's a positive story. Because he shifted it out, right? Like he just, yeah. everybody in his firm only works 40 hours a week now. And they balanced out that busy season across the whole year by implementing some tech. Now he built this tech and now he's making it available for everybody else. I think they're in, I think he has an ad in our classifieds right now, Baco Tech. But it's, uh, it's really, it's just a great story of like, it's not redemption's not the right, right word, but it is, right? Like you're you're redeeming yourself from the the typical stereotypical CPA stereotype of work 80 hours a week during busy season and let your health go to <laughs> You have to believe that. <laughs> I will. Well, David, you perfectly led us into app news. So uh, let's get into it. Microsoft now lets you bring your own data types to Excel. This was in TechCrunch like a week or two ago. And I can't believe it took me this long to bring it up because it's actually humongous. This is big news. You know what I'm talking about when I say data types in Excel? We've got dates, we've got text, we've got numbers. <laughs> These are the the formats that have been available to us for ever since Excel was invented. Yep. Well, now Microsoft is going to allow you to bring in custom data types. So for instance, you could have a customer data type and that can bring in rich customer data from a third-party service into Excel. And you can have all of this data, a rich set of structured data in a single cell, and then reference that cell. Essentially giving Excel the power of like a custom database. So you can connect to Power BI and pull in data that you've published there. You can use Microsoft's Power Query feature in Excel and connect to a wide variety of data sources, including SQL Server, MySQL, and, and Posture SQL third-party services like Teradata and Facebook and integrate that into your Excel workbook in a way that you would never have been able to do before. There's more than 100 new data types available. You could have geography, real-time stock data from the cloud. This has been available in a limited form through a partnership with Wolfram Alpha, and now they've expanded it. So Excel is not going away anytime soon, guys. No, and it makes me wonder, you, you obviously, uh, I use Airtable, we use Airtable to, for the podcast, Google's launching their kind of version of an Airtable, there's other startups that have came up now and have that kind of same, that's like, where it's, it's, it feels and tastes like a spreadsheet, like Smart Sheets is another one that's out there, right? But it has built in automation, built in workflow, but it's really a database, it's really relational databases you're connecting up, but so many people in a way use Excel like a database. And so, so if Microsoft adds just a little be these features, like why would you, these other companies could be in big trouble, these startups. And in this TechCrunch article, Airtable is specifically mentioned as a similar Excel-like tool that people have been using. And I think probably this is a response to that, is the Microsoft engineers saw, okay, well, why are tools like Airtable becoming so popular? It's because they're handling data that we can't handle. So let's do that also. I think it'd be, I mean, it's, it'll be monstrous. Because then it'll just be up front and center to accounts. Accounts don't have to go out of their way to go find Airtable. It'll just be another feature of Excel. There you go. It'll be right in their face. So another big story, huge story really, is that Oracle NetSuite has created their own accountants program. It's called Suite Accountants. And it's going to provide accountants with free access to NetSuite licensing and training courses, one free license for any member of Suite Accountants, and commissions from their referral partner program. Accountants that are part of the Suite Accountants program can earn 10% of the first year of licenses that they refer to NetSuite for people that sign up. Which can and that's be- a pretty big deal because like NetSuite's crazy expensive. So 10% of a big, huge pie is monstrous. It can be very expensive. Um, they have recently brought it down because they're going after smaller customers. You know, they're looking to peel off of those QuickBooks enterprise users. Where are they coming in now? About a month. Uh, that. that honestly, I do not know. Like QuickBooks Enterprise might run you thousands 
What, what's a good QuickBooks enterprise? I think, I think QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise, if Intuit gets you, I think, for everything. Yeah. I think it's going to be like five dollars to $7,000. If Intuit just sells you, they get you for everything. Yeah. But the jump to, we talked about this before, the jump to something like a Sage Intact is pushing in the thirty to fifty range, right? Well, they, it, can, it comes so down. It's coming down, yeah. So basically, at that like $10,000 per year mark, you're starting to see a lot of competition. So it's like, let's get those QuickBooks Desktop people to pay a little bit more. Maybe we discount it for a few years, right? So it's the same price. Like there, there, there's a lot of peeling off at that point. Intact gets a lot of their customers from QuickBooks desktop people switching. Oh yeah, so NetSuite's about a thousand dollars a month, yeah. and then a hundred bucks per user. So if you design a really complex system for your client and where they have to invite a lot of users, then you could get a pretty, yeah, pretty good ten percent of that. Although, like you know, you start to look at the cost of hosting. Like, let's say you're hosting QuickBooks Desktop on Right Networks and you've got to pay per user for that. Then it, it starts to become like, yes, NetSuite and Intact are going to be more expensive for sure. But at what point does the benefit outweigh the additional cost? Because now you can do so much more. And it's coming down, right? It's no longer like 40X expensive. It's starting to become only like 6, 7, 8X more expensive. It's just, it's it's getting more price competitive. Way more price competitive. I would say even more than that possibly. But again, part of the problem is that it's not very transparent what you're going to pay, right? And I never liked that. <laughs> I, I wish they were, you know, just more upfront. And that's what's always been nice about, I think, QuickBooks is like, you can go to the pricing page and you can see what it's going to cost you generally. Yeah, I've always told that to accounts at bookkeepers, right? If if they don't have upfront pricing, like just it's going to cost a computer, lot. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's going to cost a lot. They're going to f- figure out who you are and then adjust the price based on who you are. Mm-hmm. Exactly, got it. Uh, but so this will make it easier for accountants to work with uh, clients because they'll basically. It used to be that NetSuite users, companies had to pay for that additional accountant user, which was a disincentive to like work with an outside accountant. But now they're going to get that for free. Exactly. Because now the account should always be free if you're going to add account yeah. to the bookkeeping software. No, that makes sense. Uh, zero at released their uh, half, for, they call it first half numbers. Basically, it's like two quarters. Yep. Because they only right. report uh, in New Zealand whatever, twice a year. Twice a year, right? So, zero finally passed, just some highlights in these numbers. They finally passed 1 million subscribers in Australia. And that was a 21% jump for a first half. So, slowing down a little bit because I recall yeah. they were at like 30, 40% growth for a few years. In general, growth is slowing across the board. Even for a quick, remember we noticed in the QuickBooks, yeah. QuickBooks stopped releasing their numbers too because it was hard, right? If you're if you're going at forty percent a quarter, like eventually you cannot keep yeah. that up. And so they they've both neither side is bragging about their numbers of growth as much because it's slowed. Now it's still right. growing. Twenty one percent is huge still. Yeah, yeah. Like who wouldn't take that as, as a growth, right? And so this is and especially subscribers in a SaaS business. That's mm-hmm. that's huge, right? Yeah, so sure. they finally the key is they finally passed a million subscribers in Australia. The UK is up. They were up another nineteen percent, up to six hundred and thirty eight thousand subscribers. Mm-hmm. But the problem is North America still zero their subscribers was up 17%, but they still are only at 250,000 in North America. Wow. Only 250,000. And what is the QuickBooks online number in North America? Um, it's probably 3.8 million. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's pretty high. Yeah. Um, the company attributed part of this in North America is because they didn't have their zero con event. Now, I don't know if like, I think that might just be like a, a, an excuse footnote to put on something. Cause I don't think that, that's the reason people didn't sign up for zero because there was no zero kind of bad. It's like the equivalent of writing COVID-19 at the top of the tax return. Yeah. <laughs> and because, I mean, I think there's a, a decade of disappointing growth possibly for zero in North America still. Oh, and we don't need to go into that. I think listeners know my opinion on that, right? It's, it's you have to know your local market. And the US is so different than the global market. So, if you're going to compete here, know your customer. Um Receipt Bank is now available for QuickBooks Desktop, David. Desktop won't go away. That's my theme for this segment. I saw this article as well. They're doing it via Right Networks, I believe. Does it say this in the article that they're using the AutoFi tool? I, no, but that's that's, that's what be. it is though, right? So, Right Networks bought AutoFi. AutoFi was like that middle, it's software to help cloud apps connect to QuickBooks Desktop. Yep. And we talked about this, like Right Networks in the past, like they seem like they're the only of all the desktop hosting companies trying to figure out how to not be a desktop hosting company. So Joel Hughes, CEO of Right Networks, basically made a comment. They, they're they hosting 180,000 versions of QuickBooks desktop still on Right Networks. Well, 180,000 customers, not different versions. Okay. Or, or 180,000 <laughs> cloud-hosted QuickBooks desktop users. Yeah, yes. On, on there. Yeah, that's a lot, right? And that's just one hosting company. There are... 
I, I mean, I can even imagine how many QuickBooks desktop hosted files there are. Actually, you know what? I know there's like millions of people using QuickBooks desktop. So right networks is like one of the largest hosting companies for desktop. That must mean that there's still millions of QuickBooks files that are just on a local computer somewhere, right? Yeah, there's probably yeah. If you work up backwards from this, if if Red Networks has 180 thousand and there, you have those top 20 hostings, and you start going, you know, it's going to trickle down the market share, right? right. So I, you probably bet there's 500 thousand QuickBooks desktops that are hosted. Which you're right, that leaves about a million and a half that are just running <laughs> on a hard drive in somebody's back room still. So still like a huge opportunity for these hosting companies, right? And we and this is in the world of where you've got pure SaaS available. Really or amazing. you as an account or bookkeeper, your firm is to get these people to move to cloud because every hard drive crashes once every four years, right? Yeah. And so the next time their hard drive crashes, instead of rebuilding their whole desktop system, there's your opportunity to move them to a cloud solution. Or at least just have a service where you back up their hard drive, their QuickBooks file. You know, I got so paranoid when I was on QuickBooks desktop, I was I had like an automation set up to back up every hour because I would regularly have lose three, you know, I, I, st- I had multiple instances where I lost half a day of work. And so I eventually I just started backing up every hour. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's good though. Cause I mean, it, it, things like receipt bank help tiptoe your clients into the cloud. Yeah. Like okay, at least they're putting the receipts in the cloud and that's being scanned. And there's a little bit of automation happening for me as the account or bookkeeper yep. and be able to just do that into QuickBooks desktop. And then it's good that they do it this way because ultimately the big problem with the host, a lot of the hosting situations is you can't install third-party app. Right. Because essentially you're you're not in control of your computer, the hosting company is. Right. right? So you can't yeah. install apps. So they have to have a program like this to allow people to install those apps. So so it'll so basically 180,000 QuickBooks people now could be a little bit more efficient because of this. Avalara, Avalara. I always say it wrong. It's Avalara, right? Yeah. Avalara, the sales tax automation company has bought Business Licenses LLC for 97 million dollars. This is a company that provides software and services for the research, acquisition, and management of business licenses, registrations, and permits for businesses of all sizes. We've seen this before with Avalara's acquisitions. They are really trying to solve the whole workflow of not just reporting the correct amount of sales tax, but also filing those forms and now even registering to- The full end-to-end compliance flow. Yeah. This would be interesting because Intuit purchased a company like this back in the day. Um, actually, I think they purchased two. I think they actually purchased like a company to help make business licenses and get you registered. And I don't know, whatever. It just kind of, you know, these acquisitions happen with these big companies and then it just kind of falls off. But Intuit did buy a bigger company and I forgot they were, it was like their name had something docs in it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I remember. Doc sounds something like that. And basically it was a, it was this huge SEO play and it had great traction until Intuit bought it. And people would go there and it would have, if I was going to open a business in South Carolina, everything I need to do was located there. And I think business licenses LLC is kind of a similar pro- product like that. So it'd be interesting to see what happens as these, these companies that were kind of highly niched and really good at that one thing, how they fit into a big behemoth like an Av- Avalara now. Yeah. And does it, does it kind of die or does it, does Avalara actually pull together and this really flows to a whole compliance thing? So that's all I got for app news. One of our listeners emailed me about my personal tax situation. We were talking about, you know, people moving from California to Arizona. And I said, you know, I haven't even thought about what I'm going to have to do because I've never really had to worry about that. Well, Tino Gaetan, Juventino Gaetan, one of our listeners, he is at JG Tax Pro, emailed me and and just offered me some uh, tax advice, which is awesome. I like, I love getting free advice. <laughs> he should have value billed you. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, and so he, he helped me out. And, and then we got on a Zoom uh, because I want to ask him, you know, well, how do you know about this stuff because he he said that like he he mentioned it because he deals with a lot of this uh, as a tax professional because he is in the military. You know, a lot of his clients are military folks and they move around a lot. Yep. So income tax nexus is a big issue. Uh, so we spoke yesterday and I want to play some of those tips uh, for that, that interview for you now. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, Juventino Gaetan. Thank you, Mike. The the backstory for this discussion is that. David and I were talking about state income tax nexus around the concept of remote work on one of our recent episodes. A lot of people are working remotely, and so they may have state income tax 
in multiple states that they had never worried about before. What what do I have to worry about? Like personally, you know, when I come from California to Arizona in the middle of the year, what do I have to worry about? Because I want to get some free tax advice out of this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, no, this your your uh, situation is pretty uh, pretty common uh, in the tax world, and I'm sure there's plenty of other people that would like to chime in and, and give you their personal advice. When I heard you in the last week's podcast, and I saw, oh, this is a an easy one that I can you know provide a little bit of value and, and uh, input. But the biggest thing is uh, in California, for specifically speaking, for the folks that are wage earners that get paid on a W two, they get taxed on their worldwide income in California for California state tax purposes, up until the point, you know, you become a non-resident, like in your case, you get taxed on the income that is sourced to California. If you're an independent contractor, it works a little differently. It, there's a like a 19 point test that gets done. And the what they look at there is where is the benefit being received, not from the independent contractor, but from who's being serviced. So okay, got it. It works a little different in that case. Okay, so uh, so my employer is still in California. I'm in Arizona, so I'm going to have to file uh, an income tax return for California, and it'll be for the part of the year where I was living in California. Correct. That seems simple enough. It, are all states like this? No, there's actually, and this is more towards like uh, the Midwest and, and back East, uh, there's about six states that have, uh, for convenience of the employer clause, or it's really the convenience of the employer and what they do, so it's like uh, uh, off the top of my head, I think it's New York, Pennsylvania, Nebraska, and a few others, mm-hmm. primarily in the New England states. Uh, oh, Massachusetts just started adopting this uh, during the COVID, so there, there's going to be a whirlwind there. But what they do is, uh, it, let's say, for example, you live in Vermont, and then you work for a company and commute into New York. So now you're getting taxed Vermont state taxes and uh, New York state taxes. But what Vermont does is they'll give you a tax credit for the income that you earn while working in New York. So, uh, so I'm not double taxed. Right. So that's how they avoid the double taxation. However, what is interesting during this situation with the pandemic, like in the case of Massachusetts, the legislation they're pushed forward and the way they're doing it is that if you live in, uh, let's say you live in New Hampshire, which is a, a non-earned income tax state, and you commute into Massachusetts, now they're going to try to tax you on your Massachusetts income if you're teleworking from New Hampshire. So I live in New Hampshire. I used to say commute to Boston sure. or something. I don't know. My employer's in Boston. It used to be that I would I would not be taxed in Massachusetts on that, and now I'm going no, to you be? you would. Oh, I would. Okay. Yeah, because your, your income is being earned because you're commuting to oh. Massachusetts now. So- now you're teleworking and you live in New Hampshire. Under the old rules, I, under the old rules, I wouldn't be taxed because I was at home in New Hampshire. And now, now they're trying to tax me on that. Yes. So that's oh, a new okay. legislation that's gone through in Massachusetts. Well, and that makes sense, right? Because otherwise Massachusetts could lose out on a whole lot of revenue. I mean, that's sure. got, right? Is that the reason they're doing this? Sure. But, but the interesting yeah. thing here is New Hampshire doesn't do state income tax on earned income. So what are they going to do? How do you how do you do a, how do you prevent double taxation? Because what are they going to provide a credit against? Like in the case with the Vermont, New York. So it's it's just a weird a weird situation we're in right now. And I think uh, the la- latest thing that I've read for New Hampshire is they're going to have some some uh, lawmakers do litigation with that stuff. Right, because they can't make up for it by giving you a credit because they don't have a tax. So yeah, New Hampshire's going to watch out for their own residents, right? right. They're going to be like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> And then on the business side of things, that's going to create, you know, post-pandemic, when everything goes back to somewhat normal, you think about it, you know, it's going to provide a, a reason for more businesses to not do business or not relocate to a state where they're going to have to deal with these types of issues. Right. So I, as a business owner, I would want to locate my business in a state where, you know, the state isn't trying to tax all of my remote employees in that state. Yeah, where there's some kind of, you know, reciprocal... Yeah. You know, benefit for both like, you know, California, uh, Arizona, Nevada and Oregon, you know, we're kind of pretty low key in that respect because California says you're only going to get taxed as an employee for your California sourced income, whether you're a resident or non-resident. If you're a resident, you're going to get taxed on your worldwide income. Just to be clear, California source means I'm in the state working. Correct. That's the way our statutes are written is that you get taxed on 
the income that you're earning as a non-resident for your California sourced income as you're physically in the state. And some other states have it that way as well. You have to be physically in the state to get taxed on that income that you earn. So if when the pandemic ends, I start taking trips back into California to go to headquarters, I've got to count those days. Yeah, essentially, uh, as a non-resident now, yeah, technically you should. You know, there gotcha. should, should be a, a way for you to say, let's say you take a, a, a week-long trip to back to headquarters for some business meetings, uh, then technically that week is uh, California-sourced income. So we have a mix of situations here, just to summarize. We have some states that are seem pretty reasonable, where they're, they're only taxing you if you're a non-resident for the time that you're in that state, when you're working in that state. Correct. And then we have those states, seems like primarily on the East Coast, where now they're trying to tax you even if you don't live in that state, even if you never go to that state, just because your employer is there. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the biggest one that I think of. You know, like states like New York, you know, you can be... A resident of Vermont and never set foot in the state of New York. But because your employer is in New York, that's where their headquarters is at. That's where they do all their services and everything. And you can be taxed in both. And it's just, you know, kind of a weird situation that, that we'll see how it plays out. There's been litigation before against New York between the surrounding states and pretty much New York's won out every single time. A lot of complexity here. A lot for cloud accounting firms to think about because we can have clients anywhere in the country. And so it, it presents a tax planning challenge because how can we possibly know all the different rules for all the different states, right? It's like a, it's just a massive task task. So how do you stay up on this stuff? Well, because, you know, my background, I, I uh, started my practice uh, before I separated from active duty Navy. And, uh, you know, I just, Kept hearing, you know, people talk, the water cooler chat, you know, they, they talk and they say they got screwed over with their taxes or whatever. And I was fascinated by that and figure out, you know, why is it, what's so difficult about it? It's just a bunch of forms you fill them out and everything. And But once, you know, as we do in this industry, we know that as you dig into it, you uh, realize that there's a lot more there than meets the eye. And uh, that's how I got started with it. And I just started rolling with it back in 2010. And every new case that I take on have a bunch of different interview questions and you try to figure out where they came from, where they enlisted from. And uh, the JAG office puts out some really good uh, documentation to help the service members and to try to wrangle these things. And uh, they have a lot of good resources there with the different, all 50 different states or all 41 states that have income taxes to make sure that they're uh, in compliance. For example, Louisiana, they only tax the first $30,000 of income or military income, regardless of where you're at in the world. So the rest of that, anything above 30000 is not taxed. So that's kind of the way Louisiana helps their service members. And that, that, that was last year's number, so this year's might be different. But every, you know, every year you, you have to stay up on the, on the laws because things can change. And uh, the way I got this client is that they had their taxes done at a, at a big box retailer, and they did them wrong. And it's just because at that big box retailer, they, they weren't versed in dealing with the military community, even though we're in a big military town here in San Diego. So active duty military, you're moving around a lot. People have to deal with these issues. So you're familiar with them. And and now the rest of the country, it seems all these other professionals that never had to worry about state income tax, tax nexus, now we're, we're getting to know it as well. Do you have any tips for the accountants who have never had to deal with this before that might might help them survive the uh, 2020 tax season? Yeah, I would just say that if, if you are in a military town or if you're close to any kind of military base, uh, just reach out to uh, the local military small business office liaison and, or the local JAG office in that area. And they have a lot of uh, resources for the public because they know that we live on the economy. We as veterans and uh, military service members live on the economy. And so we're going to go to those local businesses to get these types of services done, whether it be law services or accounting services and that kind of stuff. And so just to stay up on those rules and, and uh, take as much uh, CP as possible in those areas. Juventino Gaetan, thank you so much for your time being on the podcast and thank you for your service. Thank you. Oh, that's a great tip. As I was listening to this, I was just thinking in my brain, full circle, let's go back to this migration of people from California. Do you remember um, two weeks ago, you talked about Ryan Lozanis' article about targeting locally, customers yes. locally? Uh, local SEO being something that more firms should do, yeah. 
So create a, every firm should have a blog post that says, I just moved from California to South Carolina, or I just moved from California to Arizona. Like, what's my tax situation? Or do I have to file taxes in California? Like, you should write some sort of blog post that, that really targets these migrating people. Because they're going to need extra help. Yeah, yeah. That's a good That's a good recommendation. Um, definitely could be a good uh, search engine optimization strategy. Uh, I want to make sure we mention uh, Tino's uh, Twitter handle one more time. He is at JGTaxPro. Uh, and jgtaxpro.com is his website. So, hey, thanks for listening and thank you for uh, your tips. Pre- really appreciate that. And you can send the bill to Blake. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that. that's, that's right. Uh, Do we get any voicemails this week? No, that was it. Uh, okay. That conversation. Do we have any reviews? We do have three reviews that came in. Wow. Okay. You want me to take this first one here? Yeah. The title is Helpful, Five Stars, Insightful, and These Dudes Are Actually Smart. I work in accounting for a bicycle shop and would love to hear more in the vein of GL management and invoicing as I work mainly on the payables side. And the username is unpronounceable. Thank you so much for that uh, review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, so David, payables, man, that's your that's your uh, realm being on the Melio side. So I expect we got to deliver. We could talk talk more about that invoicing. Yeah. So this is great. So it's like an internal accountant at a bicycle shop. That's cool that we're re- reaching people that are just not, you know, people with multiple clients. So, you know, I, I'm looking for a, a mountain bike and all of the mountain bikes I've been looking at, like their carbon fiber, they're like four or $5,000. I'm like, I can't believe it. Is it possible? Am I going to, am I really going to have to pay that much or can I <laughs> find a, 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 you know, a bike for less than a thousand dollars? Please tell me. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm finding it shocking every time I walk by a bicycle shop and I see the prices and I'm like, they're more than I spent on my first car. It's crazy. <laughs> it, it's crazy, crazy. And then, then if you had it, you have to constantly worry about somebody stealing it. <laughs> I know. I would, the, the worry it would bring. And then not only that, you have to do the stress of the debt you went in to pay for it. <laughs> so, it's just I, the whole idea of buying a mountain bike is a bad idea. Just start running. Get a pair of shoes that cost you That's what I've been bucks. hiking. That's what I've been hiking. doing. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Good, good, good. So, another review. Uh, must listen. Five stars. So this is on Apple Podcast. I can't wait for each new episode. I value their insights, rundown on the news in our industry, especially that they can break it down from the technical jargon to help explain it to clients. I appreciate this podcast, and the only downside is that it is not longer. Not longer. Wow. Not longer. This is from no nickname seven three nine five on Apple Podcast. Longer. Like we we I remember early on we thought a twenty minute podcast would be plenty good enough. There can't be possibly this much news. And now we're going an hour an episode. I, know. I don't know. Like more <laughs> than an hour. It's a lot of work because you you have to edit it more. It's it's yes. just a lot to go longer. You know, maybe maybe someday. I, I mean I have dreams about making this a daily thing. I but you know, like we have jobs. So I have a suggestion. You could actually get like a podcast player, like Overcast or Podcast, and you could play it at like a 0.5 speed and it'll just be <gasps> really slow. Yeah, you can make our hour-long episodes two hours. That's two a hours. great idea, David. I love that. Here's our last review. This is from Jesse Gildas Game. Five stars. And this was on Podchaser. David and Blake are my go-to source for news about accounting and tech. The firm where I work, Books Time, primarily serves other accounting firms, so it's super important for us to keep up to date with the latest trends. This is especially true since we tend to work with tech-savvy, modern accounting firms, i.e. the Cloud Accounting Podcast listener base. Listening to this podcast is a great way to keep tabs on the trends and events that affect our clients and partners. Thanks so much, Jesse, and thank you, Books Time, for listening. That's all the reviews we got. If you want to leave us a voice message, we also love listening to those. We get them occasionally, the brave souls who don't mind uh, calling this number. The number is 202-695-1040, 202-695-1040. It goes straight to voicemail. Uh, it cuts you off after about three minutes. So just try to keep it short. If you want to leave us a message, we'll listen to it and we might even play it on the air. I'd love just to get, even if people are like, <laughs> I'm pro a wealth tax, I'm against a wealth tax. I'd love to hear these things. Or Leary's opinion is crazy about how the Trump lost the election. Down with capitalism. Um, or you're all socialists. <laughs> no, we're trying to, we're trying to bring, uh, you know, people to the middle. You know, we don't want to encourage extremism, David, right? We're, we're voices of reason in the world. At least that's extremism how Extremism like is what will get us the, the most listeners. Like we that's want high true. ratings. So the more extreme we can be, <laughs> the more polarizing we can be on the podcast, we'll get more listens. This is quite a dilemma. This is quite a dilemma. Uh, it's an ethical problem. Yeah, I don't want to head down that path. <laughs> like, I, I do like kind of us being a little sane and a voice of reason and trying to bring all points of view to this stuff. We will. So that's all the time we've got. If people want to reach you online, David, what's the best place for them to harass you? 
I'm at David Leary on all the socials. Super easy to find. Uh, if it's on LinkedIn, please, please try just to say I'm not a bot. Same th- here. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And follow the show. We are at Cloud A-C-C-T-P-O-D. So short for Cloud Accounting Podcast because we can't fit all of that into a Twitter handle. And you can subscribe to our newsletter at cloudaccountingpodcast.com and get notified of all the new episodes and happenings, what we are doing. All right. Well, see you next week, David. Bye. Time for the classifieds. I want to tell you about a new workflow solution called Bacotech. Bacotech is a cloud solution that puts CPAs in the middle of their clients' data. Bacotech gathers clients' data and delivers it to CPAs in real time through one login, enabling CPAs to make adjustments to tax returns and client accounting issues as they happen, not at for year end. Bacotech helps CPAs provide their clients with the proactive services they need and increases the firm's efficiency and leads to working less overtime and busy season. To learn more about Bacotech, head over to bacotech.com. Looking to radically increase productivity as a cloud accountant? Introducing Client Hub's Frictionless Workflow, a unique combination of internal workflow seamlessly blended with client tasks and communications. See how a frictionless experience across your team and your clients will save you hours of time. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app. Enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. Client Hub, truly frictionless workflow. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.